Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. This is the last week in our series, Whatever It Takes. And next week, I'm going to begin a brand new series of messages that I'm calling Rhythms. And we're going to talk, like Rakia said, about uh, the uh, God-ordained rhythms of life. And God set up the perfect environment, really, in the garden for what a healthy rhythm in life should look like. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about how to balance uh, our schedules and how to balance rest and how to find uh, health in our relationships and in our routines. And so I'm looking forward to that series next week at 9 and 11. And I want to encourage you to be here, uh, ready to go, bring a friend with you, and uh, ask that God would do a great work next week. If I had to pick one text in all of Scripture that adequately described the heartbeat of this series, if I had to pick one passage of Scripture that really embodies the, the heart and soul of whatever it takes, it's the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter number 5. And so if you have a Bible today, Luke chapter number 5 is where we're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have most of the verses on the screen today. Luke chapter number five. I want to bring a message today as we conclude this series, whatever it takes. I want to bring a message that I'm calling Wreck the Roof. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, Wreck the Roof. Very good. Wreck the Roof. Luke chapter number five. If you're ready, would you say amen? Amen. Luke chapter 5, verse number 17. The Bible says this, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. He was paralyzed, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and they led him down through the tiling with uh, his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? And who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know, the, but that, ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and he took up that whereupon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. They were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come and just to worship you like we can freely every single week. And God, I pray that today... For the next few minutes, we can dive into your word, that we can focus on your word. God, I pray that your word would penetrate our, our hearts and our minds. 
God, I pray that we can have a, a true understanding of our calling and, and this attitude and mindset of whatever it takes. God, I pray that we would be willing to wreck the roof, that we'd be willing to do whatever it takes to see people that are far from God come to know you. God, I pray that you would challenge us today. I pray that you would convict us today. I pray that you would inspire us today to go out and to do more for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. how many of you have ever accidentally caused a scene? Can I see your hands? You caused a scene. I remember when I was in high school, when I was a senior, uh, my friends and I, we were kind of uh, waiting at our school late one night. We had just finished practice, and kind of nobody was around, and, and uh, we were kind of bored, and we were also unsupervised. And how many of you know that when teenagers are bored and unsupervised, that's not a good combination? Anybody know that? And so we were kind of hanging out, and uh, we had this brilliant idea. We were there at the school late, and we were sitting at a picnic table, and we said, man, it would be hilarious if we could take this picnic table and pick it up and put it on top of the roof of the school. And so we said, okay, this will be a great idea. And so uh, we all got together. We uh, demonstrated great determination and teamwork and unity and harmony. We worked together, and we hoisted that table up onto the roof, and we thought it would just be hilarious. The next day at school, all the parents dropping off their kids are going to look and see a picnic table on top of the roof. And so uh, that's what we did. So we lifted it up there, and it was great. We were kind of looking at our handiwork and just kind of like uh, mesmerized at the uh, job that we had just completed. And sure enough, the next morning at school, uh, there was a traffic jam in the, uh, the drop-off line because all the parents were like, why is there a picnic table on the roof? And shortly after that, I was called into the principal's office, which uh, was kind of a frequent occasion my senior year of high school. And uh, unfortunately for me, my principal and I did not have the same sense of humor. And so he did not think that that was very funny that we put a picnic table on the roof. And so uh, we uh, very shortly after that had to take it down and we got into some serious trouble. But that whole morning we caused this, we caused this major scene, right? Everyone was, was coming and said, why is there a picnic table on top of the roof? And, and my friends and I uh, made this scene on top of the roof. And we come to Luke chapter number five and we're introduced to four friends who are also making a scene, who are also on top of a roof, but they had some far greater reasons for being on top of the roof. They, they were so excited that Jesus was in town. They were so uh, ecstatic that they might see Jesus and they might have an opportunity to see Jesus, that they were fighting through the crowds and they wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, but they couldn't find a way in. So they climbed on top of the roof and they, they, they let their friend down, kind of full-on Mission Impossible style, down into the midst in front of everyone because they wanted to do whatever it takes to see their friend come to know Jesus. They wanted to do whatever it takes. They were willing to wreck the roof in order to see their friend come to know Jesus and to be healed physically and spiritually. They were willing to do whatever it takes. Now, th this whole scene takes place in the city of Capernaum. And Capernaum was kind of where Jesus uh, began much of his earthly ministry. He did a lot of miracles there. In fact, he did so many miracles when he first started that people were coming from all over the place to see uh, and to hear about this person, Jesus, and to hear about what was going on at Capernaum and to see all of these uh, people healed. Crowds started to gather. And in fact, the Bible says in Mark chapter number 1, verse number 32, and that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And so they're just bringing everybody to Jesus. Hey, 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 Jesus. Uh, heal this person. Can you do this? And, and uh, uh, large crowds were starting to gather. And in fact, in, in, in Luke's gospel, in chapter number five, right before our story of the paralyzed man, uh, we see that Jesus healed a leper. It says this in Luke chapter five, verse number 12. 
It says this, and it came to pass when he was in a certain city. Behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And so Jesus miraculously heals this man that was full of leprosy. Now, this was a big deal because in the Old Testament, there were many prophetic signs and many prophetic truths saying that when the Messiah would come, he would heal the lepers. And so uh, the... Uh, messianic expectation was at an all-time high and now they're hearing wow there's someone that's healing uh, lepers oh I read a I read a, a prophecy about that maybe this is the coming Messiah and so people were coming from all over to see Jesus this was all taking place in the city of Capernaum now this was also Peter's hometown in fact many people believe that uh, that the place where the home where this story takes place was in Peter's home. And, uh, and so this was Peter's hometown. Everyone's kind of uh, crowding into this particular house, and it was getting uh, to be an uncomfortably large crowd. How many of you uh, don't do well when something is really crowded? Can I see your hand? And so uh, all of these people are starting to come in. It's very crowded. I remember one time when I was, uh, when I was about nine years old, we took this trip to Korea, and uh, we were inside of a mall in Korea, and it was, it was the most crowded space that I've ever been in. People were just kind of bumping into everybody. It was like uh, everyone's shoulder to shoulder. We're walking through this mall. And uh, everyone's kind of bumping into everybody. And I just remember out of nowhere, I was walking. I was nine years old. And uh, somebody pushed me in the back very hard, so much so that I got, I got whiplash for a second. I'm like, man, somebody just pushed me. I'm like, man, somebody large and strong must have just pushed me because I just I flew forward a little bit. And I turned around. It was this short, probably 95-year-old Korean grandma. And she was looking at me like, keep up. I go, you know. And uh, it was a crowded space, man. Everyone was just kind of right up uh, against one another. Well, that was what's taking place in Capernaum, perhaps inside of Peter's house. There's this large, crowded standing room only. There is this, this electricity uh, in the air. This was an exciting scene. People are packing into this house, but these friends have no way to get their friend who is paralyzed to Jesus. And so they decide to do whatever it takes. They decide to rip off the roof, wreck the roof, so that they could bring their friend in to the midst before Jesus. And I just love this picture of these friends who are willing to do whatever it takes to bring one person to Jesus. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about, hey, we're going to do whatever it takes to see revival. We're going to do whatever it takes to see God move in our city. And we're going to do whatever it takes to see thousands of people saved and to God, to, for God to turn upside down our city. But I want to take a step back this morning, and I want to simplify it even more and ask this question. Are we willing to do whatever it takes for the one? Are we willing to wreck the roof? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to see one person come to know Jesus? Because it's almost easier to say, we're praying for thousands of people to be saved, and we're praying for the city to be turned upside down, because then we generalize it. And if it's generalized, then we remove ourselves from responsibility. Of course we want to see thousands of people saved, but will you invite your neighbor? Of course we want to see revival in our city, but are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring one person to Jesus? I wonder today, who is your one? Who is the one person that God wants to use you to bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Who's the one? And I was thinking about this so often. You know, if we were in this story, I like to kind of picture myself in Bible stories. And, and I like to think if I was there that day, I, I would like to think that I'd be one of the friends that I'd be one of the friends bringing someone to Jesus. But really, this took a lot of courage. This took a lot of guts. This took a lot of faith to come and to, and to break apart this whole roof and interrupt an entire Bible study and, and lower their friend right to Jesus. And I was just thinking, I wonder if I actually would be one of the friends. 
why don't we wreck the roof? Why don't we do whatever it takes to see someone come to know Jesus? If we really believe in a heaven and a hell, and we really do believe that heaven and hell are forever, for all of eternity, why aren't we willing to have that spirit and that mindset where, hey, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to wreck the roof. And I thought about that, and I thought, I believe that there are three primary reasons why we don't wreck the roof. And I want to give them to us this morning as we look at Luke chapter number five. And if you're ready, would you say amen? amen. There's three reasons why we don't wreck the roof. Number one, we're already in the house. Why don't we wreck the roof? We're already in the house. Notice what it says in verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching. And I want you to know that Jesus always prioritized the teaching. He always prioritized preaching and presenting truth. Yes, he was going to do miracles. And yes, he was going to do wonderful things. But he wanted to confirm the teaching. He wanted to uh, present the truth. And so Jesus was teaching in the house that day. And Jesus was teaching, and it says this, that there were uh, Pharisees and doctors of the law uh, sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And so we see that all of these people were coming to see Jesus, different groups. There were some seekers, there were some skeptics, there were some people there just kind of wanting to see a show. But specifically, the Bible tells us two groups. The first was uh, the Pharisees. Now, uh, the Pharisees were the ultra-Orthodox of the day. Uh, the Pharisees were the ones that put an extremely high priority on the Old Testament law of Moses. And so uh, this was a matter of life and death for the Pharisees. And what the Pharisees ended up doing was they took the tradition of men and they elevated the tradition of man on the same level as scripture. And so they would start to enforce all of these rules and rituals upon someone uh, for uh, that uh, was their means for salvation. And Jesus came along and he said, no, I fulfilled the law. And Jesus said, hey, it's by grace that you are saved. And the Pharisees rejected that and they rejected Jesus because Jesus didn't fit into their uh, rules and rituals. And so the Pharisees were these, these ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, people following the strictest uh, rules of the law. Now Jesus, uh, he got onto the Pharisees several times. And the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 25. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean uh, the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. And he says, hey, hey, you make the cup look really good on the outside, but on the inside it's full of problems. It's full of uh, dis uh, distort extortion. And so he's saying, hey, it looks good on the outside. He says, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse thou first uh, that which is in the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye are like unto a whited sepulchre, which is indeed, uh, which indeed uh, appears beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So he says on the outside, it looks great. All of your rules and rituals, it looks great, but on the inside, you're corrupt. On the inside, you are far from me. Now, it's easy for us to hear about the Pharisees, and it's easy for us to read about the Pharisees and kind of give the Pharisees a hard time say, oh, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they would reject Jesus, and I can't believe that they would follow the law. But the truth is this morning, we all have a little bit of Pharisee within us. And as soon as someone else doesn't see eye to eye with our preference, we start to look down on them. As soon as someone is not growing at our pace, and as soon as someone has not come to the same knowledge that we've come to and grown in the same way that we have, then we start to look down on them as lesser than us. And we start to appeal and kind of lift up our own righteousness. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Uh, Larry Osborne, he's an author and a pastor, and he says that if we're not careful, we'll become an accidental Pharisee. And he says this, he says, as you, as you press forward, it's inevitable that you begin to notice that some people lag behind. 
And it's at this point that your personal pursuit of holiness can morph into something dangerous, a deepening sense of frustration with those who don't share your passionate pursuit of holiness. If you allow your frustration to turn into disgust and disdain for people you've left behind, you'll end up on a dangerous detour. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, you'll become more like his arch enemies, the Pharisees of old, looking down on others, confident in your own righteousness. And see, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. And so it's not about our righteousness. It's all about his righteousness. And at the moment of salvation, yes, we were declared righteous, but it's his righteousness, not our own. In fact, the, the prophet Isaiah said that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not about what we can bring to the table. It's not about how we can keep the rules and the rituals. It's all about the wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus Christ. And so the Pharisees... The Pharisees didn't understand this. And the Pharisees were there, and they wanted to kind of catch Jesus saying something wrong, catch Jesus uh, breaking the Old Testament law. And so we see the Pharisees were there. We see the doctors of the law. These were the experts. The doctors of the law, they studied the Scripture, and uh, uh, they were the experts. And so we see that there was a lot of people in the house that day, seekers, skeptics. They wanted to see something. Some were there to catch Jesus in a trap. Some were there just to see a show. They had their phones ready. They were wanting to get something on Instagram. You know, they wanted to have something for their story. They were just waiting for Jesus to do something special, but they were already in the house, and it was amazing what was taking place in the house. Jesus was there, but see, so often the reason why we don't wreck the roof is because the experience that is taking place in the house distracts us from the people that are outside of the house. And we can get very comfortable if we're not careful. We'll come into church and we have our seat, we have our spot, we have our friends, we have our favorite songs that we like to sing, and we have our favorite ministries that we like to serve in, and we have all of our favorites, and we'll get very comfortable in the house, and we'll forget that there are people outside the house that desperately need in. And so one of the reasons why we don't wreck the roof and we don't bring people that are far from God in and we don't invite our neighbors is because we're comfortable in the house. These friends come in, they tear apart a roof. They, they completely ripped off the roof. That would have been a costly thing. Can you imagine if this was Peter's house? If Peter's like, he's like watching them tear apart his roof. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Who's gonna, this is going to cost a lot of money. Like, who's going to pay for this? He's like, I like those, those roof tiles. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, like who's going to do this? And they made this giant mess. You know, a lot of times we are more concerned with keeping things intact than we are reaching people that are broken and bringing them in and watching Jesus restore their lives. A lot of times we're more burdened about when things get messed up in the church rather than being burdened about the messed up people outside of the church that need to come in and know about the love of Jesus and need to know about the song that we sang a second ago. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Hey, there are people that need to know what's taking place inside the house. We can't get comfortable because we already have a seat. We can't get comfortable because we already, we already know. You know, there's a major difference between being a spectator and being a member. You know, I love to watch the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, they're in first place in the West this year. They're doing amazing. Yes, all the spiritual people clapped. And I've watched a lot of Laker games, right? And I've been to a lot of Laker games. And I've been to a lot of Laker games, and I was there as a spectator. No matter how many games I went and watched, unfortunately, I'm not a Los Angeles Laker. Just not. I know it's sad. <laughs> because there's a difference between spectatorship and membership. 
And somewhere along the way, we have, we have began to buy into this faulty thinking where if I just show up, then I'm a part of this. No, no, no. No, we have to serve. We have to get involved. We have to say, hey, there are more people on the outside that need to come in. So I can't just come in and have a consumer mindset and have a spectator mindset. No, I've got to mobilize into action. I've got to start serving on the front lines. I've got to get involved. I've got to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Jesus made this abundantly clear. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus kind of gave his own mission statement for his ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. See, Jesus says, that's why I came. And I just want to remind us as a church this morning that there are still hurting people, and there are still broken people, and there are still lost people that need to know about the love of Jesus. And the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And so we've got to get uncomfortable and say, you know what, I know that I'm I'm inside the house and I'm blessed to be in the house and I'm blessed to worship Jesus and I love what God's doing in the house. But hey, there are people outside the house that need to know the same grace that I have come to know. Why don't we wreck the roof? We're already in the house. There's a second reason why we don't wreck the roof. Number two this morning, if you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Number two is we give up too easily. Why don't we do whatever it takes? Why don't we wreck the roof? We give up too easily. Notice verse number 18. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. So these friends, they bring their friend in. He's paralyzed. And I love this. They sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And so these friends, they're seeking a way. How can we bring our friend in? They're, they're saying, hey, let's go around the back and let's go this way and let's try to penetrate through the crowd. And they're, they're looking for different ways to bring their friend to Jesus. And by the way, when we stand up here and we say, hey, hey, share on social media and bring a friend and we're doing this in kids ministry. We're starting a new series and we're doing this. These are ways that we are seeking means to bring people in. We're trying to think outside the box uh, to bring people uh, in to, to come and to know Jesus. So they're looking for ways. Notice verse number 19. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, they, they couldn't find a way. And so here's the question that we have to answer this morning. What do we do when we don't find a way? What do we do when we can't seem to find a way? Several weeks ago, we, uh, the men's uh, leadership prayer group that meets every Sunday or every Saturday morning at 930, uh, we went on a hike. And uh, we went and uh, we went up to Lido Creek. We went and saw the waterfall. And uh, on the way back, we we encountered this massive body of water known as the Lido Creek. And uh, we were trying to figure out how can we get across Lido Creek. Uh, there seemed to be no way. You know, we were standing at this junction and transition, and we just didn't know how we were going to do it. And, uh, and so um, a couple of the guys in our group, they decided that they were going to try to jump over Lido Creek. And uh, they were going to try to just run and jump over it. And uh, they failed miserably. And uh, uh, those people were Daniel and Seth. They tried, to, they tried to jump over, and they jumped right into the middle, got extremely wet. And I did not get it on video. I wish I did. But at least they tried, right? At least they, they tried to find a way through. But then... There was hope among us because Matt Rhodes said, I'm going to give it a try. And so this morning I brought the video of Matt Rhodes jumping over the one and only Lido Creek. Yes. 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 
when there seems to be no way, we can find a way. And uh, Matt said, you know what? Oh, he came, he came to Lytle Creek, and I don't, we were like, how are we going to get across? And some guys jumped, tried to just jump in, and Matt said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over. He found a way. And a lot of times in life when, when we set out to do what God has called us to do and we encounter opposition, we give up way too easily, and we give up prematurely. But these friends, they come in, and they couldn't find a way that they might bring him in because of the multitude. And so they went up upon the housetop. And I love this, that they were willing to do whatever it takes. Hey, let's go up on top of the roof. And so often the reason why we don't wreck the roof is because we have so many excuses of why we can't invite someone, why we can't bring someone. I was reading a a list recently of the top reasons we don't invite people to church. And one of the reasons is I don't know how to start the conversation. I don't know what to say. Here's a great conversation starter. Hey, got any plans this weekend? Got any plans this weekend? A lot of times we don't know. How, how can we start the conversation? Sometimes we say, hey, that's not my personality. Uh, I'm just, I, I don't ever really think about it. I'm afraid I might be rejected. But hey, it's not, the Great Commission is not contingent upon a personality. And so we can't just say, well, it's not my personality to invite someone, so I'll just leave that to someone else. It's not my gift. No, the Great Commission is not a gift. It's a calling for all of us to fulfill and to function. And there are ways that we can invite people to church and bring them in without even opening our mouths. We can't say, well, it's not my personality, so I'm not going to invite anyone, but we can leave an invitation on a table at a restaurant. Hey, you don't have to say anything to share that picture on social media today. There's many ways in which we can say, hey, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to try to do something to get the word out. We can't just have all of these excuses of why we don't wreck the roof. Now, these friends, they were willing to wreck the roof, and it took two things. All right, it took two things. First, it took creativity. It took creativity because I love how they say, uh, uh, these four friends, they went, they went upon the housetop. Now, can you just imagine this scene for a second? They're, they're seeking means. They're trying to figure out how to get inside the house. And one of the friends, you know, somebody had to have the idea. He's like, hey, hear me out. I got an idea. What if we, like, went up on top of the roof and just kind of started making holes and started breaking apart ceiling tiles and, and roof tiles. And what if we just kind of like lowered them uh, there? And they were willing to think outside the box. And I can imagine the other three friends were like, all right, let's try it. You know, uh, let's go up to the top. And, uh, you know, in ancient culture, in, in, in ancient Israelite homes, the roof would have been flat. I think we have a picture this morning of perhaps maybe what this might have looked like in a first century Israelite house. And so uh, they would have had a flat rooftop. Now, if it was if it was a wealthy home, if it was someone that uh, was a person of means, it might have even been a little bit larger than this. Go to the next picture. And so uh, it would have been a flat roof. There would have been a ladder on the outside of the house, perhaps. And, and uh, the fact that this house had tiles maybe clues us in a little bit that this would have been uh, a more prominent house. This would have been a wealthy house, a bigger house where more uh, people could have come in. And these guys decide to go up to the roof and completely make a mess and to completely uh, do something that would have been very costly to get their friend to Jesus. Now, uh, they, they did something costly, but please hear me, it would have been far more costly to not do it. And so they said, we're going we're gonna to go up here, we're going to wreck the roof, we're going to tear this off, and it took creativity. And I just want to encourage you, if we're going to reach the one, if we're going to wreck the roof, it's going to take some creativity. Hey, you might have to think a little bit outside the box of how you're going to get your neighbor to come to church with you next week. Maybe, maybe say, hey, I'm going to pick you up. 
be ready to go. I'm going to come by. I'm going to pick you up. Maybe invite them to lunch. But, but, but think of ways uh, that we can be creative in bringing people to church. We can't just say, oh, uh, I don't know. I tried one time before. Uh, no, these friends, they could have felt really good about themselves. They could have said, no, we tried. We sought means to come in, but there wasn't a way. We'll try again tomorrow. Hey, hey they could have felt good about themselves. But that's not the mindset of wrecking the roof. They said, we sought means there was no way, but that didn't stop us. We're going to go until we find a way. They were getting creative. Now, uh, this took creativity, but it also took unity. Now, I want these guys to come out here for a second if you can. And notice what it says here uh, next. It says, and when they could not find a way, that they might bring him in because of the multitude. They went on top of the housetop. And so uh, what we see is that this took great unity. They did this. They did this. Every person had to have a part in this. And so I have my paralytic man with me today. His name is Preston. When I was talking about this earlier, Preston looked at the rug and said, but it's dirty. I said, Preston, that is the least of your concerns. You are paralyzed, son. So we need these four friends to, to pick up to pick up Paralyzed Preston. And Paralyzed Preston, he's just so lucky to have four friends like this, right? And these guys, they said, man, we're going to do whatever it takes. Hey, let's go wreck the roof to see uh, Preston be healed because he, he, he can walk again through the power of Jesus. But can you imagine if one of the friends said, you know, I don't know about this whole roof idea. Wreck the roof. I don't know about that. Can you imagine if one person just said, I'm not going to do my part, if Cole said, I'm not doing this? Preston would be in for a hurting, right? Cole, you can pick him back up. But see, what happens is, is each person had to do their part. They did this. When they couldn't find a way, they sought means. They might bring him in. They went on top of, uh, of the housetop. They all had to do their part. If Ethan was like, I'm not going to show up to church next week, there goes Preston. Right? But each person had to do their part. Pick them up one more time. Every person said, you know what? I'm going to grab a corner. I'm going to grab a piece of the stretcher. I'm going to grab a piece of the mat. Hey, hey, where can I come in? Where can I help? Where's the weak spot? That's where I want to serve. See, each person had to do their part. And if we're going to do whatever it takes, if we're going to wreck the roof, we've got to be willing to do our part. We've got to be willing to grab a corner and say, how can I serve? How can I be involved? This isn't just for Cole. This isn't just for Ethan. This isn't just for Mike. No, it's for all of us. We're all going to strive together for the faith of the gospel if we're going to do this to the glory of God we've got to do it together hey there are people in our community that need us to grab a corner we've got to grab a corner and say hey we're going to do whatever it takes to see that person come to know Jesus thank you guys let's give it up for our friends and Preston and look he's healed we've got to do our part Ephesians says this in chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure, watch this, of every part. This is speaking about the body of Christ, and he's saying every part is important. Every corner of the mat is important. Every part. J. Vernon McGee, he said this, there are many people who are not going to receive the message of salvation unless you lift a corner of their stretcher and carry them to the place where they can hear the word of the Lord. They are paralyzed, immobilized by sin and by many other things the world holds for them. Some are paralyzed by prejudice and others by indifference. They're, they are never going to hear Jesus say to them, thy sins are forgiven thee unless you take the corner of their stretcher and bring them to him. Amen. And so today, who's your one? 
Who's the one? We all have someone. We all have a circle of influence. We all have neighbors. We all have coworkers. We all have family members. Who's the one that we can wreck the roof for? That we can find a way. Why, why don't we wreck the roof? We're already in the house. We give up too easily. But there's one third and final thought today. Why don't we wreck the roof? We've lost sight of what we really need. We've lost sight of what we really need. Notice verse number 20. And when he saw their faith, whose faith? The four friends and the paralyzed man, all of them. They had faith. When he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, imagine the scene for a second because you have these four friends. They just went on top of the roof. They just lowered their friend down to be healed. He was paralyzed. That's why they brought him. They, they, they bring him in down in the midst right before Jesus. Jesus looks at him and he said, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Can you imagine the friends that were still on top of the roof? They're like, what did he say? He said his sins are forgiven. And they're like, tell him he's paralyzed. Tell Jesus he needs to be healed like the leper. Tell him he's paralyzed. Jesus says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. I'm thankful that Jesus knows not just what we want, but what we need. See, before Jesus was going to deal with the sickness, he was going to deal with the sin. Jesus knows what we really need. And what we really need is the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. 1 John 1 says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus says, uh, uh, Jesus says, man, thy sins are, are forgiven thee. And he's telling him, hey, your greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. One author put it this way. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you today that yes, Jesus can give you victory over anxiety. And yes, Jesus can give you a peace that passes all understanding. And yes, Jesus is our firm foundation. And yes, Jesus can heal your broken heart. But greatest of all, and above all of that, Jesus can cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Jesus can give you the forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven forever. That is our greatest need. Jesus can give us the forgiveness of sins. We can't get so focused on the physical and on our sickness that we miss out on the eternal and the spiritual. That is our greatest need. And so often we don't wreck the roof because we've lost sight of what we really need. We really need the forgiveness of sins. Now, as Jesus says, says this, he demonstrates three things. Three things, and I want you to see, and we'll be done today. Notice verse number 21. The first thing that we see Jesus demonstrate is his authority. Because the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. Their, their, their heads start to spin a little bit. What, what did Jesus just say? Did he just say, thy sins are forgiven thee? They, they start to, to, to question this. Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, their theology is absolutely correct. 
Because only God can forgive sins. And what Jesus is doing is he's claiming deity. He's saying, I am God, and so therefore I have the authority to forgive sins. See, nobody else says this. No other religious leader says this. Muhammad does not say your sins are forgiven thee. Buddha does not say this. Krishna does not say this. No other religious leader says this, but Jesus Christ says thy sins are forgiven thee. See, they might tell you a pathway and a process and rules and rituals and reincarnation, and if you do all that, then maybe you'll experience forgiveness of sins, but Jesus just says thy sins are forgiven thee. Why? Because he has the authority to do so. Jesus is demonstrating great authority. He is demonstrating his deity, saying thy sins are forgiven thee. Notice the next verse. Verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, so not only does Jesus demonstrate his uh, authority and his deity, he demonstrates now his sovereignty. He, he knows it all. He's in control of it all. And even before the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the teachers and the doctors of the law, even before they could say anything, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. He perceived it in their hearts. And he said to them, what reason in your hearts? Whether it's, it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise Rise up and walk. And so we see his sovereignty. He knew what they were thinking. Our thoughts are the most private part of our human experience. And sometimes we think that our thoughts, we are just living in isolation. But I just want to remind you today that God knows the very thoughts and the intents of our heart. And maybe you've had some doubts about your faith that nobody knows about. Jesus knows Maybe you've had some thoughts about quitting and giving up and nobody else knows. Jesus knows. Maybe you feel all alone and you'd be very embarrassed if someone knew what you were thinking. Jesus knows. He's not scared of your thoughts. The Bible says this in 1 Chronicles 28, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. He knows it all. Psalm 139, thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. God knows it all. He is completely omniscient. He is completely sovereign. And so here in this scene, in this house, perhaps Peter's house, he's demonstrating his authority and he's demonstrating his sovereignty. But there's one more thing that I want you to see. He's demonstrating his humility. Because notice what he says next in verse 24. But that ye may know that the Son of Man, now the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title to refer to himself as. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Yes, he is. The Bible calls him all throughout the Gospels the Son of God. But Jesus loved to refer to himself as the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. Now, the Son of Man was originally from the Old Testament, from the prophet in Daniel. It says this in Daniel chapter number 7, verse 13. I saw uh, in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And so uh, Daniel was referring to the coming Messiah. And so they knew the coming Messiah. Daniel called him the son of man. When Jesus came, he loved to refer to himself as the son of man, again, claiming deity. This was a term for the Messiah, but it was a relatable term because the son of man uh, related him with humanity, son of man. It's kind of like the prophet Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel chapter three, verse 15. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Abib that dwelt by the river of Kabar. And I sat where they sat. The prophet Ezekiel said, I sat where they sat. And that's when Jesus says, I am the son of man. He's saying, hey, I've sat where you sat. 
I've experienced all that you have experienced as a human. I've felt pain. I've felt, I've felt burdened. I've, I've been tempted. See, Jesus uh, knows what we're going through. He says, I've sat where you sat. We do not have a distant, impersonal God. We do not have a God that created the heavens and the earth and then just said, all right, have fun down there. No, he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he says, I'm the son of man. I can, I can relate to humanity. He's fully God, fully man. This is Jesus. And so we see his authority. We see his sovereignty. We see his humility. He's the son of man. Have power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And so he tells the man to get up. Verse number 25. And immediately he rose up before them and he took up uh, that whereon he lay and he departed to his own house glorifying God. Hey, why do we want to wreck the roof? Why do we want to have this heart and this mindset as a church to do whatever it takes? Ultimately, it's not for us. It's not about Rock Hill. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. That is why we do what we do. And that is why we want to wreck the roof and do whatever it takes so that more people will give more glory to Jesus. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things to this day. Why do we do what we do? We want to give God the praise and the glory that he deserves. And so why don't we wreck the roof? We're already in the house. We lose sight of what we really need, and we give up far too easily. There's an African proverb that says this. There's only one crime worse than murder on the desert, and that is to know where the water is and not to tell. Hey, can I remind you today that we know where the living water is. We know where the hope is. It's in Jesus Christ. And how selfish would it be for us to keep that information and to keep that message for ourselves? No, we've got to go out and tell people about the living water. I want to close, close with this. In January 1982, there was this uh, very infamous now plane crash that took place in the Potomac River in Washington, D.C., Air Florida Flight 90. And it took place near a bridge, and so TV cameras could capture the whole thing, and millions of people were watching this take place on live television. This helicopter would come in, and, and it would put down a line, and, and it was trying to rescue people that were in the river. It was frozen over completely uh, ice-cold water, and the line went down. There was a man that received the line, and instead of hooking it onto himself, he went to the person next to him, a lady, and he hooked it on her, and, and she went up, and she was rescued. The line came down again. You can see this all. You can YouTube it. And the same man, he grabs it, and he goes, and he swims over to another man, and he hooks that other man, and, and then he was rescued. He did that over and over and over again until eventually he himself drowned in the Potomac River. He gave his own life so that others might be saved. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, Jesus died so that you might live. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus gave his own life for us. That man that day in the Potomac River his name is Arlen Williams, and he's a hero. They named a part of the bridge after him, but I just love his heart and his example. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I've got to help these people. There's people that, that need help, that need to be rescued, and so I'm going to do my part. Today, are we willing to do whatever it takes for the one? Are we willing to wreck the roof for the one? Who is your one? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.
Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.